Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. This episode of Red Inca is on whether the invincible Australians are now invincible. For that, we get on our good areas resident expert on the women's team. Esther Vasudevan, uh, and I'm currently a freelance sports content creator. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) We chat about their recent losses, their incredible record before, Meg Lanning's retirement, the transition period, are other teams getting better, and is Talia McGrath the new Tim Bresnan? Are you, or do you work for me? I feel like you should have said that you worked for me there. I feel like, I, I, I don't know, a couple of you have come on my podcast and slighted me straight away, <laughs> but that's what I expected you to do, so that's fine. Um, we're going to talk about the Australian women's team because they're not as good as they used to be. I think we can argue about this, but they're not like unbeatable anymore, I think is the best way of looking at it. So I looked at the last 12 months. They've lost five T20s, one test, and three ODIs. Uh, but if you look at just since they won that test in England, I think it was at Nottingham, uh, they lost a test in India, and they have won uh, seven of their last 12 T20 internationals. And the ODI record is still pretty good. They've won 10 of the last 13. I think for most teams, <laughs> this would be a great record, right? But I think it's quite fair to say in the last eight months, it, the Australian women's team have not looked as dominant as they once did. Is that fair? Yeah, I think you can say that, um, that they haven't looked as dominant as they were, but I don't know if it's too early to say, you know, they're slipping or they're going going in the, in a downward trajectory, but definitely you can say that they aren't as dominant as they were maybe in the preceding two years. Yeah, I mean, certainly from 2018 to mm. 2022, they're about as dominant as any cricket team, male, female, or, you know, uh, or out there, right? Like, so uh, I think there's certainly something to be said uh, for something changing from that perspective. Test cricket in women's game is hard because, as Meg Lenning has pointed out recently, they don't really play it. And so they lost the test to India, but India did actually play an entire warm-up game right before yeah. that, right? So certainly India were probably more ready to play test cricket than the Australian women's were. So are you willing to push that one aside for a moment? Yeah, just looking through the numbers before this podcast, right? I was thinking it's very difficult to look at test numbers because as you mentioned, they don't play enough tests. And I think over the last 10 years, Australia has only won two tests. They've lost one, but they've only won two. The others four have been draws, I think. So it's not like they were as dominant in that format as Mm. the other two. Um, And India had that game against England, they were also playing at home. So a significant advantage, I think, going into that game. Let's go to T20, because I think this is is maybe the interesting one. So in T20s, they have a win ratio of 1.4 since uh, that that test match in Nottingham. India has a win ratio of 1.2 in that same time. of the teams who are like World Cup quality, there's some very there's some teams out there with some very good records at the moment. I think Vanuatu and Greece, I think might have been two that I saw. Um, so good on Vanuatu and Greece, uh, Greek teams. But um, but of the sort of major World Cup teams, uh, Australia still has the best win ratio, but that's not that far ahead of India. I would argue when you're watching them, they. I, I saw them in a game. I must have been against South Africa where they were chasing, and they got themselves into a bit of a 
like a tougher chase. And then they eased themselves out of it. And I was thinking to myself, oh, maybe, maybe I'm overblowing this. But I talked to Hypercost about it. And he was like, um, in chases, uh, you know, they're, they're still pretty strong. It's more been setting totals where they've looked a little bit weaker of recent times. Yeah, I think, wasn't it like of the last, I mean, barring this South Africa series, something like 20 out of 22 chases or something that um, Australia had been successful in. And I think those, see, we were talking about T20 cricket and test cricket, mm. but I think the real area which they will be concerned with is ODI cricket where they have they have been consistently dominant. Like I was looking at the numbers in ODIs, they haven't lost in 2018, 19, 2020, 2022. They haven't lost, right? So if they it's when they are losing in either chases, which they did against South Africa a few days ago, and they're losing in ODIs when I think there there might be a bit of concern in the Australian camp. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. Um, they're certainly not the team they were before. So ODI cricket is the one that I think their record has kind of held up in, um, just because they've played fourteen ga- uh, 13 finished completed games. They've won out 10 out of the three. Uh, sorry, they won 10 and lost three of, of those. But my memory of watching them play against England, I was thinking, I don't know, England seemed pretty similar level to where Australia are at the moment. And they've also had, you know, they had, then had Marazan Cap play a great game and beat them. And let's be honest, Marazan Cap has played a lot of great games against Australia before. Australia usually just beat the other 10 players around her, right? Like, I, I, I don't know if... I don't know if I feel confident enough to say that they're not, you know, they're still not like a 50% chance of winning the World Cup because they probably are above a 50% chance of winning the World Cup, right? But I also, the more I've watched and the more I've been thinking about this team and looking at the numbers as well, they don't look as strong as they did before, even if 10-3 and three still seems like a fantastic record. But as you said, there are other years when they haven't lost any games. So 10-3 and three is actually a slip for this team. Yeah, it is. And if you look at, the numbers, as you said, over the last two years, and it's we have to talk about learning, right? Because if we are saying, and we did a piece on this um, for the channel as well, if we are saying that she is one of the greatest to play the game, certainly one of the greatest to play, greatest batters of this era at least, then if they don't miss her, that's strange, right? But I, I think that's yeah. a very obvious um thing they are missing is landing not only as a batter but as a leader and again not just landing but they've lost their they're kind of the top leadership group in the last couple of years right Matthew Mott moved uh, uh, Rachel Haynes retired and now landing retired so it is in a sense a transitional period for the leadership at least in the team and you've also got a few more youngsters kind of being slowly blooded into the side. Um, it's a tough one to call. Like, just thinking about this podcast, I don't, again, I don't know if you can say they're slipping, but maybe it's more of a dip than a slip, like a like a dip in form or, you know. I just, just so you know, I'm going to come up with the most provocative title for this podcast and put your name at the end of it. Estelle, Estelle says, Australian women are shit now, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think it's fair that what you're saying there. So I just want to get to the landing point. 
So Hypercoaster obviously won't ever come on a podcast, but um, I would love for him to come on one of the podcasts. But, you know, he's certainly an expert when it comes to women's cricket stats. He pointed out that the two times when Australia only retained the Ashes rather than winning the Ashes was 2017 and 2023. And both of those times, Lanning didn't play, right? And again, you know, watching them in their T20 um, part, they look like they are a, a specialist batter down. Uh, when I've watched some of their games, they've got a lot of players who obviously they have this ridiculous run of all rounders available mm. to them. But when you play India and England and, and when South Africa are clicking, you know, those very top sides and, you know, when West Indies are playing really well as well, you kind of need more than just a bunch of all rounders. You need specialists, like you get tested a little bit more. So landing, not being there has to be an issue. The other one is that a couple of, you know, we talked about the Marazan game, but there was also a Hayley Matthews game uh, that, that beat them. I'm wondering if there is, if the other teams are, I don't, slightly not seeing them as unbeatable anymore like there was certainly a period where when you talk to women <laughs> around the around the game they were just like we don't know what to do to beat them whereas now it feels like when you talk to other teams they're like they're not saying that they're easier to play but they don't feel that there's that invincibility uh cloak around them that we certainly saw beforehand i think that also comes down to the growing kind of professionalism right in other countries where they are getting a lot more support domestically and I'm, I'm assuming they also get a lot of you know the mental health side of support where they have kind of coaches for those things mm. as well so that belief, analysts psychologists yeah, yeah. all that sort of stuff and thinking of more that, about how you beat mm, an Australian woman exactly. rather than just playing against her yeah because a lot of teams in the lower levels depend on you know out and out talent alone, right? And we've seen that even with two of the teams you mentioned in South Africa and West Indies, where there have been a lot of instances where it's been just Haley Matthews or just Deandra Dottin or just Stefani Taylor putting up an incredible performance, but mm. still falling short. Um, same with Cap, right? Um, but now I think it's more to do with those teams that the belief is growing. Um, I'm going to fight you on the <laughs> Australia slipping part obviously so um i think it's more to do with those teams i, th kind I of thought going if i remember correctly you said they're shit now did you not say that never <laughs> you said you said they're finished they're they're a flash in the pan no one will remember them is, is that not the words you said i wouldn't dare say that <laughs> well I mean, I covered them a lot more kind of just before they got good. So I covered them a lot around 2016 and 2017, which is quite a funny now because, like, that is actually, like, where, where they really struggled. Um, and I thought they were pretty good then, if I'm being honest. But so I was at both the games that they lost, the 2016 final. Mm -hmm. Final? Yeah, it was the final, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, 2016 final and 2017 semifinal. And I felt at that stage that they were not, Obviously, the professionalism had already started to kick in and you could see that they were, you know, that they had a lot of talent. But I felt like they didn't really have like a unity or, or, or a purpose or, a, um, you know, they were playing games rather than going into them. And I think after that period with Mott and Lanning, I think they, they changed from just being a very good team to being the machine that they end up becoming. But it is worth going back and having a look, they weren't particularly a dominant, uh, I mean, they were dominant 
within the reins of women's cricket, but they weren't dominant in the reins that they would go on to be from 2018 uh, to 2022. That's a a four-year period where no one can touch them. Maybe they're just going back to that sort of, I don't know, 2012 to 2018 period where they're probably still the best side more often than not but there are other teams now that are catching them is that is does that make you feel more comfortable yeah i think it does and also it 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 is also we have to say that it is also other teams investing more in sport like for example right yeah. south africa beat them in both formats during this tour but south africa lost to bangladesh not too long ago at home right and Bangladesh is playing the women's championship for the first time in this cycle. So yeah. it's obvious that, that that kind of the number of games they're playing against the opposition they are is helping them improve. And I think that's the case for a lot of the lower ranked teams. Whereas you have, of, of course, you had England and Australia, you know, they play the Ashes. They have more, sometimes they fit in more fixtures into the, um, into the existing series, right? So it's, it's a little bit of everything where there is definitely a kind of closing of the gap in the lower teams as well. Uh, but you're right, it, it it is also kind of Australia going from being, you know, 95% to maybe 85%, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I think the other thing is that if you, I know this doesn't, this doesn't, uh, cover all the games that we're talking about, but certainly if you think about the Haley Matthews or the Marazan Cap, right? They are proper professionals. <laughs> they yep. they fly around the world. They play cricket all the time. Whereas before, if you were playing, you know, you know, Deandra Dalton or even you know Lizelle Lee when she when she was coming through, you were playing players who were really really good, but probably weren't quite you know professional. They weren't on the scene all the time, and so. If you do have talented women in your country, even if your women's cricket is a basket case, the top three or four women are probably all going to be lifted up to prop that Australian level anyway. And then, you know, then you're talking about a one-off performance or a, or a couple of players, you know, combining in one game could make a big difference. And that goes back to your point about professionalism, right? Yes, there is more professionalism in women's cricket than there was certainly when this reign started in 2018. But... The other side of it is it's not just the teams who are being more professional. It's the women who are more professional because they now have the ability to play for all these different franchises around the world and work on their game all the time. So they should rise to the level that the Australian women were rising to not that long ago. Yeah, and it's an added incentive, right, for those star players. Like, I mean, if you take Cap, you take Hayley Matthews, you take a Chamari Atapattu, they make their national teams quite easily right there's nothing there for them to prove but when it comes to now with the WPL even the CPL and Pakistan also had uh, a women's league for one season um, with those leagues coming in with the franchise leagues coming in then they suddenly have another kind of level they want to reach right and that helps not just them but also the younger players who aspire to kind of get to that level. Remember that cricket is a funny game. 100 years before we protected our heads, players looked after their groins. So don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today. NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. 
Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Kimber to get a huge discount off your Nord VPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with Nord VPN today. No, no, I agree. I think I think all that sort of stuff helps and also just bringing the kind of professional structure back like of no this is not how you train this is how you train and you know this this is what Meg Lanning did when I played with her uh, you know in, in this competition or, or whatever that may be. Do you think that and I, I know England got rolled by India in a test match as well. But do you think that let, let's just go with England first that they have probably just a little bit better now and have maybe not quite at Australia's level but you know, I, I was watching them in that Ashes thinking to myself, there's not that much difference between the Australian and the English team, whereas over the last couple of years, it did feel like, you know, kids playing adults at times. Yeah, I, I do think that is something that is relevant to talk about, particularly because in maybe times gone by, if you look at the Australian team, and I think even now you could say that, it would be very hard for a for a player from like another team to kind of fit into the Aussie team, right? Because they've yeah. got like 11 exceptional players and then you've got even some maybe three to four who are sitting on the bench who would probably walk into any other team. But I think with England and India, and that's where I think the resource part comes in. Little by little, you're seeing that change where you've got, you know, talent, not not just talent-wise, but skill-wise, You've got 11 good players and you're kind of reaching that level where you have some really good players who are sitting out because of that as well. Okay. just on, I think we've showed that the one-day cricket is the one that has you know, not changed the most, right? So, so their record's quite good. Hypercourse sent me this. This is a brilliant stat. Uh, in their entire ODI history between 1973 and, and 2022, Australia were bowled out inside 40 overs once, right? They've been bowled out before reaching the 40-over mark twice since the last, of, uh, since the start of last year, England and South Africa. I wonder if, go back to my point, and I'm, I will explain why I'm coming up with this in a minute, but I go back to my point. You take Meg Lanning out of that side, right? We know that you can't replace her anyway. There isn't, you know, directly a Meg Lanning who's going to come in, but there has been an over-dependence on all-rounders because they've been getting away with it, right? Like, they go into every game with, like, eight bowling options, right? You know, and, and batting to, like, nine or ten because they can. If the other teams do get slightly better, maybe we will see a few more collapses. Is this, is this me projecting or do you see something in this as well? I think that's that's a difficult one to call, right? Because e- even the all-rounders, like, you've got players like Talia McGrath, who as batters are pretty pretty high up there, right? Um, I do think it's also a bit of, like I mentioned, a transitional stage. And also they, they do seem to move players up and down the order. It would, to me, the real test would be this World Cup that's coming up mm. where they're going to be playing in Bangladesh where conditions may not suit all those all-rounders they have. They have a lot of pace bowling all-rounders, right? Um, and then 
no learning. Alisa Healy, captain. There are few things that, I mean, surely they're not, no matter what they say to the media, surely they're not going into that tournament with as much confidence as they probably did maybe in 2020 or 2022, right? Mm, no, definitely. Uh, I don't know if you saw me smile when you brought up Talia McGraw because I'm very fascinated with her and have been for a while. Um, okay, so for Australia, with the bat, she averages 43 with a strike rate of 134, mm-hmm. right? What do you think her record for the strikers is? Tell me. She averages 21 with a strike rate of 105. Mm. And I thought, oh, maybe that might just be because she was picked when she was younger and, you know, for the strikers, whereas she she reached peak age when she started playing for Australia. But there's only one year in her, even when she's gone on to dominate international cricket, there's only been one year when she's ever played for the strikers with numbers that are similar to 43, 134, right across her entire thing. And so I want to, I'll look at her bowling as well, just just so you can understand as well. So her bowling average for Australia is 22, and her bowling average for the strikers is 25. So again, she has a better bowling average when she's playing for Australia than she does for the strikers. The only thing that's worse in her international record is her economy. She's about one and a half runs and over worse when she bowls for Australia uh, than anywhere else. And the reason I bring all this up is if you go back and you look at Colin Miller, um, uh, you know, or Tim Bresden coming in um, into the England side. And, you know, some of those great South African seamers who come in for like five tests and take a million wickets and we never hear about again. There is an element of when you go into a great team and everything's running perfectly and the other the opposition's already kind of been destroyed, that you can be used, A, in the best way possible. My guess is, and I'd have to go through her full record, she probably bats lower, right? And so she gets more not outs. She's up. Obviously, she's a really good striker of the ball, pun not intended. Um, uh, but uh, but when you know, but maybe she has to bat in more difficult situations in domestic cricket because she is you know more important uh, you know up the order. And again, when she's bowling for Australia, there's so many bowling options. She's probably got a slightly better bowling average because the minute the conditions aren't in her favour, you just tr- try one of the other people who can bowl, right? And and I do wonder if that is something that will we will start to see some of these. Uh, you know, these players who've come in in, the, in that 2018 to 2023 period just start to regress a little bit. Not because they're not good players. I'm not saying she's not a fantastic player because she is. I, you know, I love watching her play. But what I mean is it's just going to get a little bit tougher now. But a, teams are planning, obviously, a little bit better for them. But if the other teams all rise up, right, her record should start to regress to a more normal thing. And, you know, if, if you go back and you look at Tim Bresden's record, he's, Tim Bresden's one of my favorite ones for this because Tim Bresden comes into an incredible team and you're like, he's not that good at cricket. And suddenly his record is just absolutely brilliant. The, the team never loses with Tim Bresden in it. He, at one stage, I think he was averaging like 40 with the bat, like 23 with a ball, right? And everyone's like, oh my God, how good is Tim Bresden? And of course, after a while, it starts to regress. And, and I do think that, you know, there is, an, there is an element of this that some of those Australian women have been carried by great players around them, right? And perhaps as other teams, great players start to, you know, uh, to come on board and the professionalism of those players at the bottom end starts to go up. We might not see that sort of thing anymore. So we might not see someone who averages, you know, twice what they do mm. for Australia as they do for the strikers with a huge strike rate. Like, and, and, and she might still average 
35, right? And and maybe her strike rate comes down to 120. She's still going to be a, an above average player. But you you know from talking to women cricketers the same way that I do, their big the- their big thing before was it never stops, right? You get this person out and then the next person comes in mm-hmm. and she smashes you everywhere. Or you hit this bowler out of the attack and they bring a better bowler on to bowl to you, right? You, you know, I did that thing for the last World Cup about the leg spinners. Like they left like two or three great leg spinners at home because they didn't need them. Right, like they had so many great options available to them, and and at the, the the big thing with the professionalism of women's cricket is really, and why we know that the Australian women were so much better is all the players rose a level because of the professionalism, right? Like, and it's it wasn't that their stars were so much greater than the, you know the English or the Indian or the South African stars because we know that that's not as true, but what we did know is the eighth best player and the 14th best player, and the 18th best player from the Australian team was way better. I wonder if that's the bit we we start to see, and that will just bring in the more consistent losses. Thanks to the kind folks at FlexiSpot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to FlexiSpot. Yeah, I agree because it comes back down to, you know, the resources and stuff, right? That we've been talking about. It comes down to how much... um, players in all the international teams now or all the top international teams now are getting where you have like in days past I mean still Amanda Jade Wellington doesn't make the Australian squad right she's she would Mm. probably walk into many many teams in the international arena Um, you've got Sophie Molyneux another one who's been really good domestically but kind of struggles to make it into the Australian team but like you said that I think also it's that teams are no longer really dependent on one or two players. Like, for example, Cap, Cap, yeah, Cap does most of their run scoring and most of their wicket taking. But you also got some pretty good bowlers and pretty decent batters in the in that lineup now who can give her that support and bring you know the team to a competitive level. Whereas another thing I think I see with Australia is that. After such a successful era from 2018 to 2023, there's also an element of them not having f- had too much pressure on them, like the younger players in particular, mm. right? Yeah, so how they deal with that is also something that would be interesting to see. I, I, I did a piece for Women's Creek Zone a couple of years ago on, you know, what makes them successful. And, you know, just looking at the numbers, it was that, whatever situation they're in, somebody finds a way to win, right? So they had 11 brilliant players who's, who at least one or two of them would stand up in a difficult situation. I mean, since I watch a lot of Sri Lanka cricket, I can think of two situations where Sri Lanka really had them on the ropes in, in I think it was the 2020 World Cup, T20 World Cup and the 2017 um, ODI World Cup where they really had them in trouble. But Lanning or Haynes or Healy or Perry or someone came up with the goods, right? Yeah. And then when you're the then when you're the younger player or the less accomplished player, your job is just to support a great player. 
Like it's much easier to, to do that, right, than it is to be in a situation where you have to be the great player, right? And, and, and you know, there's a huge difference uh, from that. So I, I think that I think that's a, a big part of it as well. Here's what I kind of um, go on. As I said, I, I talked to Hypercost about this as well, but it was also something I've been thinking about. I don't think, uh, I suppose the best way of putting it is, I still think that Australia's, Australia's ceiling is probably higher than, let's say, India or England's, right? The two other best teams. But I don't think their ceiling is as much higher than it used to be than the other teams. And the reason that we haven't seen this massive drop-off and they suddenly haven't got, you know, terrible is because their floor is still so much more solid than any other team, right? Like, so so even England and India, who are both very good teams, sometimes I look at them and I go, yeah, there's a, there's a few weaknesses here that you could exploit, right? And and with Australia, you're like, they're really, even Talia McGrath is not a weakness. If she goes back to averaging 20 with the bat, like batting in the position that she has, it's still, that's still a, a, a decent a number, right? Uh, and she's, you know, even if she stops taking wickets an average of 22 and goes to 25, that's not a weakness. But it means that they have a very solid floor and, but they have, they probably still have a higher peak than the other teams. Whereas I think if you look 2018 to 2022-ish, right? I think their peak was massively higher than everyone else's and their floor was massively higher. So how do you beat them, right? You need, you know, you, you need actually for them to be struck by lightning to beat them. Whereas I don't think that's the case anymore. I think now you look at it and you go, no, we should be able to hang with them. And, and I think we started, when was the World Cup in New Zealand? Was that 2022? 2022, yeah. End of 2022. Yeah. That, was, that was about the time I started watching them and going, they're just not quite at that same level that they were before. They were still the best team around. And so it's very possible that outside of Meg Lanning leaving, there hasn't been as much of a dip, right, uh, to use your word. Um, but it is also very possible that just because there is professional women's cricket now played in India and England, and because so many of the other internationals are now getting, you know, access, we know we've got this new tournament in Sri Lanka coming up and, you know, there was fair break for a couple of years as well. You know, there was a few different things going on that everyone is actually lifting themselves up a little bit more and so th that might be what we're seeing rather than australia be worse we might be seeing australia be maybe roughly the same or maybe not quite as good but everyone else just reaching their level yeah i i agree with that completely i think like i mentioned before obviously the loss of landing is huge right that has to have an impact barring that i think a lot of what we're seeing is other teams getting better and getting more competitive rather than australia you know, going down. And again, that this year's World Cup is going to be quite interesting to watch because like you said, teams are going to come in and it 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 is something that you can argue that in the past, the fact that teams didn't believe that they could beat them definitely had an impact on how they were playing, right? You walk into um, a semifinal and you think, you know, how are we going to beat them? That's obviously going to have an impact on, on your performance as well. Whereas now, they will be coming in thinking, oh, you know what? They've lost this great player. They haven't been winning as many games as um, they have in the past. They've been losing to a wider range of opposition. I think that's also important. In the past, it would be like England or India, right? But this year, they've lost... Mm to the West Indies and South Africa. So it's a wider group of teams that they have lost to. And that confidence, I think, is going to play a big part going into the World Cup. 
So there's no. So you think that Australia won't win the World Cup? Is that what I just heard from you? <laughs> Don't know this. No. <laughs> I think obviously. I mean, they're that, still massive favourites. Yeah, they, they are massive, yeah. massive favourites. It's it's like I mentioned before, right? It's like it, they've gone from winning hundred percent of their games to maybe winning ninety percent of their games, which is still far far <laughs> better than a lot of the. I mean, every other team, right? But yeah. by their standards, like if you go back to twenty seventeen, that loss against India was such a shock to everybody, right? Like. How did it happen? How and particularly because in that tournament they'd been destroyed by two batters. Like Atapattu mm. went after them in one game, but Sri Lanka just didn't have the other players to kind of stay up with them. And Lanning played brilliant uh, innings, but the same thing happened in the semi-final, right? So, of one one-off, you could explain it away, but. At that point, it was a huge surprise that this was happening to this Australian team. Um, but it may not be, it's still, a, I think still, if anybody beats them, it's an upset. But it's not as big an upset as it was maybe, you know, three, four years ago. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baron Kazi and Estelle Vassadavan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recordings. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. Social media nightmares keeping you up after you turn out 25 minutes of gold on your podcast? It's time to wake up to Memento FM. They find the best designs for your posts, transforming your videos and podcasts into great social media posts. Join Memento FM today.